Okay. Okay. Welcome, everybody, um, to another episode of the Lifters League podcast, the Strength and Muscle Science podcast. Um, I'm Ben Ashmole. I'm here with, as always, Gus Cook. And we also have a couple of guests. Uh, Gus, if you want to introduce them for me. So today we have, uh, well, first we have Sarah. Uh, she's one of my uh, competitive powerlifters. And I think the and we also have Jay Kelly, who is what do you call it again? A high performance, yeah, yeah, high, high performance liaison officer. Sounds really fancy, but I essentially my role is to just work with the sort of uh, professional teams that we have at Gymaware and Flex um, over overseas mainly. Ninety percent of our clients are actually overseas, um, so I just work with the strength coaches day to day to sort of facilitate them and help them with anything that they um, need, like if it's running them through the system or, um, you know, just just helping them with their issues every day. Um, so that's kind of my role. Obviously, I have Australian teams as well. But, yeah, that's kind of what I do at the company. So if people are unaware what we're talk- re- referencing to, this is the velocity-based uh, devices or the velocity-based training with uh, Aware and... Uh, What's the other one? Flex, flex stronger? Do you call it? Or yeah, flex. I've just been calling. I've just been calling it flex. So the com- the company's kinetic performance, right? Yeah, the company's kinetic performance. So we sell two products. Um, the first one is Gymaware, and we've been selling that to pro teams, you know, universities, uh, high performance institutions, researchers. Like we have a a massive client base, and we've kind of been doing that for about fifteen years now. So. Like we have. Why has this have, been? Yeah, go on. Why has this device been better than, I guess, some of your competitors? Because this one's, I've noticed, has really taken off in uh, many industries, well, and a lot of other ones have. Well, do you want to start with? Sorry, for people listening, like, I, I, my mind was blown when Gus explained to me what velocity training is, and yeah. the kind of gains he's been able to make with his athletes is, is ridiculous. Could you just give us a rough overview of what it is? Yeah. Okay. So I think the easiest way to sort of explain it is velocity-based training is just using a device, which, you know, there's, there's quite a few of them, um, but essentially using a piece of technology that tracks um, speed of movement. So whether that's it, – it's mainly for barbell exercises – so if we know how fast an athlete's moving, um, we can sort of make decisions on how, how, like how they're performing on that day. So like, as, as we know, like athletes are under a lot of stress all the time. And so these daily stresses can actually um, impact their training. So, you know, things like uh, sleep, hydration, nutrition, you know, relationships, um, you know, work. There's, there's a lot of stresses that can come um into into an athlete's life so instead of using like a traditional method of like okay you're going to just lift 60 percent of your one rep max or 80 90 percent we actually use velocity to dictate the load so if an athlete comes into the gym they're feeling crap they put you know 90 percent on the bar um using velocity we can sort of tell how fatigued they are for that day and then go okay well Today, let's uh, let's actually back off the weight because your speeds are down and then you're not risking injury. So that's kind of the main reason why someone would use velocity-based training um, in, in the pro setting. But then there's all these other, other areas. Um, so like one of them is obviously increased intent to lift. So that's like a main one. Um, increased like competition as well. So um, like Gymaware first came around in 2002 and it was actually only used as a readiness sort of measure like it was just used for jump testing so athletes would come in they'd do three jumps and then based on those jumps you can kind of tell how fatigued someone is on that day um, but then as the product evolved um, you know we added all in all these other features and like yeah it just kind of took off from there um, but uh, yeah in a nutshell velocity based training is uh, essentially, yeah, using velocity to dictate the load, I believe. Right, you're, you're, What's your definition? How are you sorry? using it, Gus? Sorry, sorry Gus, how, how are you using it with your athletes specifically? Pretty much exactly how he's explaining it. 
is that you know we'll put the we'll put the device on the bar um, for your main listen in terms of powerlifting. We'll structure it with our current programming. We'll create a profile for that athlete, a velocity profile, which basically is a linear regression model that um, kind of correlates percentage of, percentage of load to velocity to the velocity. And with that, we're able to determine the load on the day based off that velocity for that day. So if we've programmed at 80%, it might give us a velocity of, say, you know, 0.4. Um, we will see, okay, basically, we'll come as close to that weight as we can. And if we are slower that day, we'll work at a lighter load until we are roughly at that 0.4. If we're performing really well and we are, which means the training we're probably doing is progressing and, and working or they're having a really good day. And depending on the consistency of session to session over the weeks, we might have a progressive increase in load at the percentages we're working at. So, yeah, in the end, we might find that her one, her projected 1RM one, uh, one is increasing over time and that we just respond to the velocity of that, uh, respond to the velocity. So if we basically want to work at 80, 80, 85%, which is generally an, kind of an ideal range, we do working in powerlifting and if that num if that speed constantly increasing at those percentages, well then we know we're getting stronger. We know we're training in more of those optimal ranges. Because if things get too easy, if she's getting stronger and things get too easy, we're not now we're not creating the right stimulus to constantly progress that strength. So we kind of limit our progression by not understanding where we're at in our mm. training as well. So what what kind of what kind of gains are we talking just out of interest, like in terms of numbers? So we applied it with Sarah here um, kind of the first time I used it as an experiment and we went, so we applied it to all, all the lifts really and we had a kind of a massive increase. So we were, we started where well, I would rely on subject, subjective information such as, you know, you know, their energy levels, how they're feeling and basically looking at videos to see comparing them over, over time. So if I look at one lift to another lift, you know, does that look better than the week before? But now that's all subjective where velocity was objective. And we went from, during one training phase over six months, we went from a 230, 230 squat to a 257, 257 and a half uh, Over how kilos. Six weeks. Six months. Six months. Oh, I was going to say six weeks. Six weeks would be all right. Yeah, but six weeks. <laughs> 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 Sign me up. I think a massive contributor that I, I noticed is that we are able to stay in the right training training range or the, the right stimulus range because, you know, she would progress, but we can't really maximize that progression because we start to, the stimulus is, the stimulus isn't going to be right for the, for the current strength level she's currently at. So I'd have to make these kind of, um, kind of these guesses about where she is going because of she, things might be starting to feel too light. So we're not getting that right stimulus. And I think this is why we're able to make su such faster progress and then knowing when to back off as well, because then you can just start accumulate too much too much fatigue and without the recovery, you don't make progress either. So it's, it's a, it's a win-win on both ends. Yeah. And I think that's, so Joe, I thought, yeah, go on. Oh, sorry, oh, go, on. Yeah, go on. No, no, you go. I was going to say that's, I think that's a really big thing people don't understand is that uh, fatigue accumulates and all of a sudden it gets to a point where you're actually overtraining and it, it becomes a negative thing. So like, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Louis Simmons. You probably are, you know, uh, I think he trains his athletes. I'm, I'm not sure. He, he does the dynamic method, um, works above 0.75, and that's actually to help his athletes recover um, while, while they're sort of making gains. Um, my, my sort of main area is focused on like uh, football, NBA, um, you know, all those sort of other sports. So I haven't had too much experience with um, powerlifting specifically, but I know that. Yeah, VBT is huge, huge in it. And that's what I'm seeing, like working with like uh, guys like yourself, you know, um, Team Power Elite down in Sydney. You know, you got a whole, all of these Aussie guys making massive gains just from training, you know, and understanding where they're at on that day um, and adjusting adjusting things for the day. Yeah. The other one in Sydney is, was it Lawrence Grove, isn't it? Is that the one you were? Yeah, Pocket Rocket. Yeah. Mm. Um. And is there much other people doing velocity-based 
powerlifting yeah, I think, in Australia? I think it's starting to take off a bit more um, in powerlifting especially, and that's sort of an area we've tried to, to target um, powerlifters because I, I actually think, yeah, you do three main lifts. Um, you know, like the, the teams that I'm used to working with, a coach might have 500 athletes. So it's really hard for them to create force velocity profiles for each athlete, um, you know, uh, get really specific training programs and all that stuff. But for a powerlifter, they just have to do it for themselves. Um, and they're only focusing on increasing three main lifts. So I actually think it's, yeah, it, it suits them quite well, this, this new training method. So what, what are some of the – obviously you said you work with a lot of um, team sports yeah. clubs and stuff. Where, where is it most utilised? And is it mainly in the US? Yeah, so mainly in the US. So we have um, – oh, you know, like we have teams like Boston Red Sox, um, Philadelphia Eagles, like top, top. We're talking like top teams. So, yeah, like we have over 20 baseball teams, 20 NBA you know, 15 NFL, sort of over 20 hockey. So, like, these guys are using it every day for every lift sort of thing. Like, that's how popular velocity-based training is in team sports because when you're dealing with athletes that are worth so much money, you kind of need to make sure they're they're not overtraining, you know what I mean? And having that objective measure there, it's like, okay, now we know. We compare it with all this other data. All right, we're backing off today because we're not risking it. Sort of thing especially so are they measuring this individually as a team sorry are they measuring this individually as a, or as a team yeah in, so individually um the good thing about okay. the gym oil obviously is you know you can have unlimited athletes in the system they just go up pick their profile all the data is sent to the cloud they can generate reports on individual athletes um and they can pretty much just see where they are on the day so yeah. You don't want to be the strength and conditioning coach who um, blows out LeBron James's knee. <laughs> <Do you? laughs> Could you imagine that? Yeah. Oh, it's oh. like, yeah. Not, <laughs> yeah, not yeah. Cause, cause so, I mean, how they... N NBA teams, they play 82 games a season. Like, it's a very yeah. short season and they have finals. You know, they're playing every two days. So, to you know, you still need to get that quality quality work in you still need to be training for like Gus was saying before making sure you're training the right stimulus um but without without fatiguing your athletes so they can come in and they can do it the next day and the next you know what I mean so because they're there so they what are they doing to test them for that day for that they day don't. they just mainly work with the zones so that that's kind of how they do it they program with the individual zones. So on the gym where you have the blue, the blue target zones. So each individual will have their zone set up, and then if they're um, dropping below the speed, they just bump bump the weight back. And if they're over the speed as well, so this is another point, I guess. Like some days, an athlete will come in, they feel amazing. Instead of holding them back, like I think Gus, you were saying before, um, you know, okay, let's 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 go for it. You know, let's um, let's get the work in today. Because you know you're feeling good, so um, that's that's generally how they do it. They work with the blue zone, and it's just all you know um, specialized for that. For what I know, what I know from these zones, they're quite a lot larger than what we're working with, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. So, so what are these? What are these zones? I mean, we're because we're working with very fine numbers. I mean, we're down to point zero one oh, in our measurements. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, so we, we might work we might work in a zone between um, say point point three five and point three eight. Yeah, wow. So they're very tiny, but the thing is powerlift advanced powerlifters are generally quite consistent as well. Yeah. With their their speed. So I mean, can you tell us a bit about how these zones these zones work? Because I know they're a lot yeah. larger. Yeah. yeah, so just a question about your zones. Do, like how many reps would you be doing? Is it is it what? for 0.35 to 0.38 so we'll have a range we'll have about a two and a half to five percent range outside of i guess the selected percentage we're working at for that day and then we just try to again try to be within that range and we only really measure the first repetition um so we're not doing any more we, we're not doing generally we never do any reps that are going to put us into that we that we're going to have significant um velocity loss 
in in our ranges. So we only do like three, maybe five to rep, five reps, and then um, uh, would only ever measure the first rep because for us the the skill is only comes into that comes to that first rep. But then objectively, we can start to compare the first rep to some other repetitions because sometimes their second and third rep are faster than their first. So, you know, then we have, you know, loss of efficiency somewhere in the first rep that we're not gaining, that we're not getting in the first rep, but we're getting the second and third. And that's pretty common with powerlifting that people's second rep is always is always better. But um, so then I guess that gives us another form of measurement. But we only compare the first, first repetition um, for all our... Yeah, okay. um, interesting. Rangers, yeah. Yeah, so so mainly with the zones that I see, um, you've probably seen uh, Brian Mann's uh, zones that he developed for Division One athletes in the US. So they're like a broad sort of range. And, I mean, like Gus, you know, it, it, it varies depending on what exercise you're doing. So for like a bench pull, I think the the – the slowest speed you can go generally for an average athlete is like 0.5, which is actually quite high, you know what I mean? But some athletes like Chris Duffin can grind out a squat at 0.06, like super slow speeds. So it, I think it does depend on the athlete. Um, the athletes that I normally work with, they generally hang around the range of 0.7 to 0.9. Or it, it it actually depends on what what training phase they're in. So if they if they're looking to develop uh, power, it's it's generally around that. That's that's the zones that I see quite often, 0.7 to 0.9. Um, you know they might go through a speed block and they're just working on quick snappy stuff and they're they're working between one and 1.3 meters per second. Um, so yeah, are they just so? Are they working with are they working with averages and what kind of rep ranges and stuff like yeah, that? So for compounds, they're just work, working with averages. So for your squats, um, deads, bench, all those sort of exercises, it's just averages. And then for peak velocity, there's obviously different zones. Um, like because for Olympic lifts, you guys obviously don't do any of that stuff because you're just concentrating on the three main ones, but um, in team sports, Olympic lifts are very common. Um, and then they have a whole new sort of range, which is quite a bit higher. So it's not uncommon to see speeds like 2.6 metres per second, 2.8. Um, that's quick. And that's, at the, that's at the peak of, that, of the movement as well, isn't it? Yeah, the peak. So the mean velocity is the average from the start to the finish. And then the peak is just the fastest, quickest um, point in that movement. So for an Olympic lift, there's like three, generally there's like three different um, phases. There's the initial pull from the floor. And the problem with uh, looking at mean velocity for those movements is some athletes are really, really slow to pull the pull the bar off the floor and some are quite quick. So if you're pulling the, the bar off the floor quite quickly and you're getting it up really fast, you're going to have a, um, a better mean velocity, but it doesn't actually... Um, you know, it, it's not a good indicator of the actual lift itself because the, the most important part, I think, is once you get that bar past your knees, how quickly you can get that bar up. Um, so peak velocity is a better sort of measure, to, a metric to look at there. So is it in the clean they're trying to look for the highest peak velocity? Sorry? Is it in the clean that they look for the highest peak yeah, velocity? when clean they snatches, yeah, any Olympic variation. So is it in the clean? I mean, is it is the peak velocity? So where, where are they finding the peak velocity? Is it in the, let's say, in the clean and press? Are they looking within the, the movement of the clean or in the, pre in the press? Ah, uh, the clean. Uh, yeah, the clean. Okay. Yeah. So. That's generally people's weakest point, would you say? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's just in the, in the clean phase. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so are most people using this for, for, would you say, out of for injury prevention? Yeah, for sure. Or are they yeah. using it for performance development yeah, in um, any way? So it can be used for both, right? Like we have, um, obviously, if you're if you're using this every day with your athletes, you can get a pretty good idea of how they're tracking, um, because yeah. with the GymAware system, it's tracking everything stored to the cloud. So it is injury prevention, right? Because you, um, you're tracking them the whole time. So 
like we have physios that use it um, for rehabilitation purposes. You know, they can uh, measure the difference between left and right. Um, yeah, injury prevention. Um, there's a lot of things you can use the gym aware system for, um, and VBT for, I guess. There's a lot of a lot of things velocity can sort of tell you in that regard. I think what I've noticed is that it just kind of enhances the information that we're currently using. That like with injury prevention and, and, and powerlifting, that um, we know that if you're hitting near 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 maxes or you're fatigued, you're more likely to make a mistake. And that if we are working quite slow at percentages that generally have a higher risk, we would rather we're better off backing off for that day to prevent the risk of injury because if you have a fatiguing day, if anyone has a fatiguing day, I don't like them to hit hit heavy because you're just more likely to mm. be a little less tight somewhere or just the whole skill behind that lift starts to dissipate. Yeah. My, my biggest one when I first started working for the company was like I, I sort of just went to the gym for, you know, fitness, stay healthy, all that sort of stuff. Um, and like I would just go to the gym, I'd go through the motions, I'd put – you know, 80 kilos on the bar, bench press, down, up. I'd just kind of pump out the eight reps. I wouldn't really concentrate on anything. But as soon as you sort of start measuring something and you're getting that feedback, it really increases the intent to lift. And that's what I noticed. And I got massive gains as well just from having that feedback there and going, okay, make sure you, in the concentric phase, really drive it up. And I think that's probably something you've seen, Gus, with your athletes and Dara probably as well. Yeah. So, I mean, Sarah, have you have you noticed the difference between the way you approach that bar and what you what numbers you see on that day? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, what have you seen specifically in terms of? Because I have noticed that you know, I mean, myself, where if I'm lifting at a certain percentage and I it should move a certain way, and it doesn't doesn't move at the speed you want, then you kind of like, what's going on here? I mean, and it starts to change, I guess, your attitude about what, how you're supposed to approach this bar so then you start creating more training intent. It's like it's not moving fast. It should move fast, but it's not. So that we get this, I guess, not just feedback in terms of how we're performing or recovering, but I guess where our mind is at at that point in time because we realise you have to, a big part of lifting is uh, maintaining a level of psychology that puts you in the right it also goes also goes the other way because I remember like I was using it and I think I was like testing on that day and I put on like 70% or whatever it was and I lifted it and it, the speed was like 0.55 or something. And mm-hmm. I was like, fuck, that was quick. So then it kind of like gave me the confidence to be like, well, sweet, like I can do this. Mm, like it, up. Yeah. Even at, yeah. I think, have you ever found it at times where it's like you feel shit but it's moving fast so it's like it kind of changes so it like your changes your mindset. You're like, mindset oh, I, I can do this. Yeah. yeah. I, the, the way I think it's got to help is if it, it's hard to reconcile with yourself if you don't feel up to it, but you're, you're just like forcing yourself to because you should be able to do it and you get frustrated, right? It's got to be easier if you're getting natural feedback to say, oh, hang on, I shouldn't be. Like the, the, I, I actually have quantifiable data that says, I'm not performing at my best now, so it's okay that, that I back off. Like taking weight off for a power lift is like tough, right? Trying to get them to lift less, mm. surely. Yeah. All they want to do is throw the weights on. Um, I think it just depends on the depends on the lifter, but yeah, it just it like I think some people when they're supposed to lift supposed to lift lighter on that day then the velocity tells them to do so. Even when I think I had it with Dan, Dan Mahoney, he was also using it, that he was a bit slower that day, but he was due to hit something big, did it anyway. Um, and that lift just fell apart and he hurt himself. And he should have listened to, listened to velocity, listened to the velocity that day because in the end it just, it didn't work out. So, so, so he hit, he hit the, Wait, but the technique fell off and then he actually injured himself. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Velocity so that day was not was not where it should be, and I told him. So, so you're using this every training session for these athletes? Yeah. Wow, okay. 
So, so what, what is it about the products themselves, Jay, that I know Gus mentioned before that you're kind of like becoming more and more and more popular? Yeah. Would you say that you're the market leader? Is that is that right to say? Or? So um, Gymware is definitely the market leader. It's a gold standard. It's, it's kind of what uh, everyone uses if, yeah, if they have the budget for it. It is an expensive system. I mean, one unit's about two and a half grand Australian. Um, and then you need an iPad, you know. There's, so, you know, for a team, like an NFL team, they need like 20 units. So it's it's quite an expensive, like, um, piece of technology, but it is so valuable. Um, and originally, we were just selling the gym aware units. So we only sort of had that, um, you know, pro teams, researchers, we had that top, top level market um, cornered and then uh, what happened is some other competitors came into the market and they started selling to you know individuals um, you know semi-pro teams uh, high schools colleges all that sort of stuff they didn't have the budget to buy gym wear um, so we sort of thought okay we need to sort of get a product out there that is still super accurate that's sort of our company's main goal um, Unfortunately, there are products on the market that aren't accurate, which means essentially what that means is if you're lifting at a certain speed, you can't really rely on the on the data. So that's something that Gymaware and Flex, our new products, um, you know, if, if you see something's moving at point four, you can trust those numbers. You can go, okay, yep, I can make coaching decisions. I can program based off these numbers. Um, so that's where our products sort of strive is that they're super accurate, um, and yeah, like they're becoming more and more popular now that flex is a more affordable option. Like it connects straight to your phone. You can just plug it in, uh, yeah, attach it to the bar and away you go. You just start lifting. It tracks all your data. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, for individuals, I think it's a really good product. I don't know, Gus, you probably have some thoughts on, thoughts on it. Um, the Jimmy wears better. <laughs> I think, um, <laughs> Um, it's very, it's just a little bit more, more precise. I, I think maybe we had a talk, there's that, you know, there's, there can be like about a 5%. Yeah. Out of, 5%, so about, yeah. yeah. Um, but they tend, they do tend to, they do, they, they, they're not, they're not, seem to be, I guess it's hit, hit and miss. So it's been, um, definitely the gym wears a lot more. I find a lot more consistent, I think, with powerlifting, especially because we're really, de really define those numbers into a very short, very small range. I think if you're working in a range large enough, let's say, you know, I think even point, if say, say point 0.1 to point zero 0.05, it tends to be pretty good. And, you know, we generally have about that much of a range anyway. So it tends to do its job uh, for what we're, what we're doing so I, I think it is a good enough you know, it's not it's not it's not it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not definitely not as accurate as the gym aware but it's definitely good enough for for training definitely more more than good enough I would say um, to tell you what you need to know what you need to know to make make it but like you said you got this you had the other device for researchers as well and that's where it's a I guess at a, another level of accuracy that they need yeah, it's it's the only system that corrects for angle as well, um, or the flex does as well. But um, there's a lot of other systems that don't uh, correct for the angle. So yeah, it's just it's it's one of those things, you know. Like you you need a device that's accurate um, and that you can rely on. So that's where our products come in. Um, we tried to make the flex super easy to use. So like, gosh, you I I ran you through the gymware system. It's pretty complex. Um, for an individual, it's quite a lot to take on board. So, yeah, with the Flex, we just try to make it super, super easy. You literally just plug it on the bar and, and away you go. Um, but, yeah, it does have it does have a bit more error. You see a bit more variability within the numbers. Um, but, yeah, like you were saying, it's it's more than good enough to sort of get some, yeah, numbers that you can work with. And affordable for – I mean, it's affordable – for people training by themselves, right? Yeah, yeah it gives Which you the awesome, especially if you're doing it over. You know, if you're working on working on averages, just anything statistically. I mean, if you're doing if you're measuring five sets, I mean, you, that's enough to know that's enough to know where that athlete's going. So 
It's got to be. It's got to be dangerous though. If, if there's products out there that are, have that are pretty wide of the mark, and you're making informed decisions about informed data, that's that's potentially dangerous, right? Like you're taking people where they shouldn't go. Yeah, like, yeah, definitely. And originally, all the professional teams, uh, when this when this couple of these products came out, they all tried them out, and they're like, "Yeah, cool," but they just can't get the level of accuracy that we can get because we are measuring. Uh, it's a physical measure, displacement over time. So the gym wears a tethered unit, the Flex uses lasers, um, whereas some of the other systems, they use uh, cheaper technology. Um, so like, for example, there are accelerometer-based systems, so they uh, calculate acceleration, um, which is a bit variable, and then they try and use that to predict what the velocity would be. Um, based off that so they work backwards whereas we calculate velocity and then we can work out a whole range of things from that um, so that's the main difference yeah. so, so that's what that's what's setting you guys apart from yeah competitors at the yeah. moment. and i think yeah the flex it just needs some time like it's it's quite a new product we we launched it late last year um yeah, so it's just it's going to take time for people to sort of pick it up and actually realize how good it is. And yeah, I think it. I think it's um. You know, we have a lot in the development pipeline, Gus. You've already seen we've, you know, introduced a whole bunch of features. Um, so yeah. So what's in development? Sorry. What's in development? What's upcoming? <laughs> what's up and coming? Well, we're putting in video. So that will be next. Um, so you can record your each lift and it can play back and we'll overlay the data um oh i don't want to get into it too much but big things on the way that's cool you know, we, we're really yeah. trying to build out the community aspect of it so gus for yourself you're moving to an online platform so you, you know um you already know you can sort of track all your athletes if they have a flex device in the community section and we're just trying to build that out so i think there might be a few things coming on that like where you can sort of push workouts to athletes and those sort of things. So, yeah. How'd you go with the 1RM calculating for powerlifting in the yeah, so that's talked about? One, right? um, you, you've obviously... Do they end up using some of the strategies I... Sorry? Do they end up using some of the strategies that... Yeah, I, so so it's a difficult one. Like, we, we introduced that powerlifting mode. Did you have a play around with that? Yeah, and then we had, I had a chat to the developers and about some of its issues that we picked up or I picked up on. Yeah, so we've dropped the we've dropped for everyone that doesn't know, Flex has an inbuilt one uh, RM prediction. So essentially, what it does is it if you know roughly what your one RM is, it will take fifty percent of that and take you from fifty all the way to eighty. So it's a sub maximal test. And then like Gus was explaining before, it plots a linear regression curve. And if we know what you lift certain weights at certain speeds, we can kind of predict what your 1RM will be. Um, the problem with powerlifters is they move pretty slowly. So it's hard for us to get a good idea of what their 1RM max will be. So our, our, our problem is we have to uh, introduce all these algorithms and sort of uh, set out the tests. So one of the rules we initially had was 50% of your one rep max should roughly, this is what the research says for most team sport athletes, 50% of your one rep max will be about one meter per second. So for powerlifters, that's just, I don't know, Sarah, have you ever moved one meter per second? I don't think so. No, no. So, so, okay. We're like, okay, what can we do for powerlifters? So one of Gus's uh, uh, sort of ideas was start them heavier because they're used to lifting uh, heavy weights. So that's another thing we have to deal with, right? Novice athletes coming in using the system for the first time, you know, we don't want to expose them to those heavy weights. So, you know, it would like obviously in an ideal world, it would be best to start them off heavier, but we can't really do that um, just, just because there are so many different things that we have to worry about. But for powerlifter mode, they start off at 60%, so they go heavier to start, and they end up at about 90%. So we take them further. And Gus, since our chat, I think we've lowered that threshold down to 0.5 in powerlifter mode. 
So 50%, you have to move at about 0.5, uh, 60%, sorry. So, so I had, a, yeah, I, I tend to, I tend to measure that no one's actually, we're not getting any accurate speeds until we're about 70, 70% anyway, because yeah. the, the, the velocity tends to kind of, kind of be a little bit all over the place until they're actually hitting the, hitting loads that they're used to hitting. Yeah. I think what we've done now is we've dropped off in the calculation. We're only using the last three potentially. That could be what we're doing now in powerlifter mode. Um, so yeah, to create, to create the model. Sorry. So the last three to create the model, to I create the so, yeah. linear regression. Last three or four. Yeah. And obviously. Three. Yeah. What, I find that a yeah, bit, many, bit short. How many points do you use on that curve? I use nine. Nine. Yeah. It's quite an extensive yeah. test. Yeah. Well, you'll generally, you'll generally get a few outliners in that one as well. I've, especially I found in the squat, um, and the bench press too, because the bench press didn't seem to seem to have a very narrow band as well. So, you know, their, their, you know, their 60% would be like say point, point 0.5 and then their, you know, their 90, or say, let's say your 60% would be point 0.4 and it'll be point 0.3 at 80%. So it was only like, you know, there's like a 20% range, but only a decrease in 0.1. I oh, know, which makes it super hard on our end because we're like, okay, uh, we probably need more data points in there. Um, so maybe something we have to think about is instead of doing a 1RM test for powerlifters, maybe we just get them to do a force velocity profile. Yeah, so that, that's what I was uh, suggesting before is that let them let them hit all their numbers and then you then you plot you plot you plot the regression model on top of that rather than making predictions of where their velocity should be for a percentage range. Yeah, that, that's one idea I did have. Um, I don't think the development team liked it, but you know, what can you do? Um, yeah, it is, it is hard for powerlifters, man. And I think, um, yeah, it's interesting. Cause like you were saying to me one day, like you lifted 50%, oh, let's just say 60% at 0.5. And then you went and lifted 70% at 0.55 or something. You know, you're actually increasing in speed as load gets heavier. So I'm just like, oh, how do you even plot that as a, as a, yeah, exactly. So it's like I said that that comes back to that training intent or just general nervous system activation. You know, yeah. lifters aren't powerlifters aren't lifting maximally at maximal speeds until they're like you know freaking eighth set in sometimes. Yeah. So one thing one thing we do recommend is a warm up. I don't know if you've read much about post activation potentiation, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, if you do. If you do sort of do this test, we do we do sort of suggest a quite a quite a decent warm up. Um, I, I normally do about a fifteen minute warm up, you know, with varying ranges to sort of get myself warm, have have a lot of rest in between. Um, that's how I maximise my sort of results and my speeds. So maybe that's something I don't know. Do you would you do that warm up before you do your test, or do you do it with the lowest? So with, with in, in a few ways, so like, I mean, when outside velocity training, I mean, I've always, for some people had to have kind of, I was like activation sessions, you know, pre deadlift or something to start until they feel, until they feel good, start, you know, the nervous system activated or, or even to the point where they say like might do some rack, heavy rack deadlifts before coming back down to off the floor, but not everyone needed that. But what I've been doing with velocity is that if you're working at say 50, 60% until we're close we can't. We kind of stuck around there until we came close to the velocity. So we know we're getting. We know where I guess the nervous system is starting to become more active, um, yeah. and then once we're kind of within range with those with that velocity, then we started to just add the load. Yeah, that's kind of one thing I, I was doing with them. Mm. But yeah, yeah. Like I have a powerlifter friend, and he can bench like over. He can bench like 160, 180 kilos, but. If I just put the bar on him, there's no way he's lifting above 0.7. Um, so in my head, I'm just like, okay, what what does that come down to? Is it just he can't lift it, or is it is it just like a mindset thing? What what are your sort of thoughts on that? Like maybe Sarah, I don't know. Do you do you like Sarah? How much can you bench? How much can you bench? 160. 160. Right. Okay. So you can bench a lot. Um, if I was to put 30 kilos on a bar, do you think you could lift it at one meter per second or, or is it just you're locked in 
you're focusing on form, you know what I mean? Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably couldn't. I'd be. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think I could do one. Yeah, you'd 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 be sacrificing. You'd be sacrificing the tension you're creating to get more speed, because you know you start using your elasticity to kind of create momentum. So you know we would go through. You'd go through a. a th I think if you're going over point, if you're going over one meter per second, you're going through a throw movement than a press movement. Yeah. So yeah, uh, pretty much. Yeah. So there's a decelerating mm. phase in there. So yeah. So yeah. Like I know that um like a, a certain powerlifter, um, Laura Scro in Sydney, she did a six week phase where she only uh, lifted below eighty percent of her one rep max. And at the start, the coach was like trying to drill into her. It's all about speed. It's all about speed. And she just couldn't get it, couldn't get it. And then eventually she finally got it, started lifting. And like, I, I didn't study like anatomy or physiology or anything, but I think the reason why she had massive gains is something to do with like muscle recruitment and like the way the fibers are broken down. So like if you're only training type one muscle fibers as a power lifter, I just don't, I, I think speed is like an important part, like to obviously create, um, yeah, fast twitch muscle fibers, like, you know, ex explosive power. Um, what, like, I don't know, Gus, what are your sort of thoughts on? I think this comes back to the just general strength and conditioning principles of face potentiation, but in a different, in a different area, because I mean, I mean, something basic, like we know, you know, general muscular hypertrophy is going to create should carry over to or potentiate strength. Um, I guess this is just another area that we're trying to focus on velocity at uh, velocity at various percentages that would carry over to um, more force production and higher percentages or potentiate more uh, more load and higher percentages. I wonder. I wonder if you. I wonder if you could. There, there would be a correlation between say box jumps and squat gains. Or is it? I mean, I know it's true the other way around. I think it's. I think I personally, I think this might be too far, too far away from the spectrum of what we're trying to. Yeah. Okay. Trying to achieve. I, I don't personally. I mean, it could be different. Research could show differently, but I personally, I don't think there's much more to gain than less than sixty percent. Okay. Um, when it comes to strength training, if you can increase velocity at sixty to seventy percent, there could be a carryover. So there'll be less from sixty percent than seventy percent, um, and more from eighty percent than seventy. So I mean. It's, I guess this comes down to specificity. Do you do much work around those ranges, 60%, 70%? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think more advanced they are, the more, more, more so is the case because we generally lose a lot more strength compared to our competition lifts. So I would start, I would start you know, a new phase, let's say, you know, coming out of lockdown, I started a new phase um, where we had a range of like 65 to 70%. And uh, it's very far off the mark in terms of what I'm capable of doing, but my velocities are a lot slower at that point. And so for someone else in terms of, I guess, perceived intensity or, or um, rate of perceived intensity would be, you know, close to, you know, close to, cl nearly close to like, you know, a max like 80% or 90, 80, 85%. They're quite hard. Now those velocities are starting to increase. Now I can start to increase, increase load. But I think it's just yeah. depends on the level of athlete as well yeah. so so sarah how long have you been a powerlifter for uh it's my sixth year this year six year okay and have, like since how long you've been doing velocity-based training for i uh, was it was just the last six months we it was like my last comp prep we started and yeah i really enjoyed it i thought it was quite good yeah it's definitely it's definitely a better way to train i think it's more engaging and you actually have fun um, that's one thing I, I definitely realized, but like, did you, were you always increasing or did you sort of plateau at all or? Uh, I think it, majority it was increasing, increasing. Um, there was a few slower days when I had like high workload days and all that sort of stuff, which was, again, it was good to see, um, like, again, I was supposed to do like a heavy day and, uh, my ranges were slow. So I pulled it back and didn't over fatigue myself. Um, so it was good. No, yeah, I definitely think in powerlifting, velocity-based training is going to be a, a huge aspect. Um, I mean, it is already. Like Gus, you're using it. I think it's going to be a game game changer. I think if you're not if you're not into if you're not into it in the next couple of years as a coach, I mean, you're going to be left behind. 
That's what I personally believe anyway. <laughs> That's why you're going to be the VBT uh, Australia guy for powerlifting. Yeah, unless we're working on it. <laughs> yeah. So. Get him in the door, yeah. Mm. Bloody hell. So, so what, what, where, where did you go from in that six months again? From and to in terms of your gains? Oh, my squat went from like 230 to 257. That's awesome. And that was and VBT was pretty much the only thing we really changed, hey. Yeah. And at the elite end of the spectrum, that's like a lot mm. a lot to gain. So we applied the exact same strategy I did in terms of programming that we did at Showdown, which is a competition we did prior to that. And we made some good gains. So we figured out a strategy that worked well well for her, but we replaced I mainly replaced one aspect of it, which was the um one aspect of it with 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 velocity and um it used that to dictate load and it was a significant difference. So we basically got to replicate the same methodology of programming twice, but the second time around applying velocity and it just, cause I mean that competition you added five or 10 kilos mm. in the first one. And then the second one we added like 30, 30 kilos. Insane. Mm. I so need even my bench like that, that. You got 152. 152 at one competition. So we in 2018, she got 157. And then we haven't been able to get that strength back for some time. We uh, applied a methodology, the same methodology with, like I'm um, saying with the VBT, but without it. And we got up to 152. So it was still about five kilos off. And we we're struggling for like two years to get that, get that back. Um, we applied velocity. And then after that, got 160, 161, which is the unofficial all-time Australian record. So now we just got to get that. And it was in the gym. It was in the gym, yeah. So we just got to get that so how in competition. So you uh, train, Sarah, like a week? Sorry, was that? How, how many times did I you mean, train in the gym a week? Uh, three or four. Three or four. Okay. Three or four days, yeah. Yeah, and, and how, like, this is one thing that I'm just interested in. Like, how much rest do you have in between sets? Depending like on the day and how heavy it is and stuff, but usually about five to seven minutes. Yeah. And do you set those times, Gus? Like, is that part of the program? Like, how long they have? I, I generally suggest people taking five to seven, the five to seven mark for the really heavy, heavy stuff and keeping it under five minutes for the, for the lighter, for the lighter stuff. So there's no, there's, I don't really, I don't set a time, I don't set a timer. I kind of stay on top of them in terms of trying to regulate that themselves. So. But they already know too. If they rest too long, they'll slow down, and uh, if they rest too short, they won't recover. So, it's a fine line. Mm. I I feel they 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 build they athletes tend to build an intuition with their rest periods. So, I rather rely on their intuition. I kind of my rule of thumb is like when you feel ninety percent recovered, then go again. You never want to feel fully recovered. You never really will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Three years later, still waiting for the next set. <laughs> yeah. I went into a gym in Melbourne and they were having like 15 minutes in between sets. Couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God. But uh, I think they were talking around and, must, you know, mucking around a little bit. 12-hour sessions. Yeah, that's pretty common. 15 minutes. We all have power, power lifters, yeah, and sense of beer. Especially when you're squatting. Yeah, squatting's the long, the long one. Squatting's an event. It's, it's just so much preparation, so much preparation for squats. It's just not a, it's not one of those like bench and deads. You can come in, you can rip some weight off the floor, or just get under the bar. And but squats is a yeah, uh, I guess a mind fuck game and a you know the thing that can hurt you the most and uh, everyone just hates it. There's that bit when the when when you step back off the rack and you just stood there and you're like fuck I gotta commit and you're like <laughs> yeah Jesus uh, awesome man so it, where do you have any quantifiable kind of results that that any of these pro teams again do do you work with any NFL teams you said the the Philadelphia Eagles yeah yeah so LA Rams Philadelphia Eagles. Denver Bronco, like they're they're about fifteen of them, so half. Wow, yeah, okay. You said you're doing some. I think we had a small conversation before. You're saying you're doing some pretty. They're doing some pretty mind blowing, kind of 
innovative things now. What are they? What are they doing? Just for a rough idea, like um, Aaron Donald uh, won Defensive Player of the Year. So he, yeah, he, he's inclined benching two hundred kilos at point five. Like fuck, fuck. <laughs> seriously, like you're just like, oh my god. Yeah, so like a lot of those guys, they they bench a hundred kilos at over one meter per second, and they're like, you're going in there and you're just like, wow. And even the college guys as well. You go into the gym, they're like six foot ten. They're just massive. They're fast. Like it's a different world over there. It's pretty crazy. Like moving heavy weights. Like I I I could bench hundred kilos maybe twice, and they're doing it at over one meter per second. I'm just like wow. Well, one of the one of their combine tests out, out of college is max reps at hundred kgs, yeah. and some of them are doing it forty five, fifty. Yeah. I, I think the record's like 55 or something crazy. So maybe it's because they're training at that weight so much that they're getting the velocity there. Um, Seriously, yeah. It's, we're, we're involved in, in the NHL combine. So it's, it's interesting. For the NFL, they just do max, max reps at 100 kilos. But for the NHL, which is hockey, ice hockey, they take their athlete's body weight, they halve it, and they put that weight on the bar, and then it's max velocity. So they actually have the gym aware hooked up, and I think it's actually a way better way to sort of do it. It makes things interesting, right? So the commentators like commentating on the gym aware and like what's happening, and uh, yeah, I think it's great. Like we're trying to get into the NFL draft, but it's it's quite traditional. So they have their set test, you know, the forty yard dash, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, but you never yeah. know. You might see it. You might see the gym aware on the bar soon. Interesting. Yeah, I, I I don't get the NFL draft at the the combine. That they practice a lot, like ninety percent of the stuff they practice. Half the positions never do in an actual game. It's just it's been done that way for forty years or whatever. Like they do a three cone drill, don't they, for agility and? Yeah. So now, right now, we're actually seeing a lot of the traditional coaches in the NFL phased out. And so you yeah. get these young tech guys coming up who are like assistants and stuff and they're bringing in gym awares and they're tracking everything. They've got the heart rate monitors, the force plates. So it's it's starting to change. The NFL, yeah, in my opinion, in America is, was the slowest to sort of adapt to the technology. And But now, like Gus was saying, if you're not using this stuff in the next few years, like you're just going to be left behind not only with powerlifting, but definitely team sports as well. Yeah. It's a good time to get on it. Yeah. Now. <laughs> I mean, Go before everyone else like, leaves you. But. Like for yourself, like if a powerlifter is listening to this, what what do you recommend they do? Like say they pick up a VBT device, what would, what would be the first thing to do besides like obviously contact yourself? Would it be to set up that? There's so little information because I had um, – I had uh, uh, one of my athletes go ahead and use it um, and we haven't done anything. She kind of just started playing around with it herself. And, um, you know, the, the information that's out there on, as I'm more on those, those, those zones and it doesn't, just doesn't apply to powerlifting. So I think it's just one of those things is just no, at, at the moment, at this stage, and I guess hope, hoping this is something that I can do is that provide, I guess, information to, to people about how to apply this to powerlifting specifically. Um, I think that especially one number one thing is that uh, there's a little bit less about it. So that it does help dictate load, but it can't dictate all your training. It can't dictate your program. It has to, we use it. I, I tend to tell people it's like, it's just another measuring tool that can help, you know, you know, make adjustments that are best suited to you at that, at that time and over time. Um, I think this is something that probably will take time to develop that you, you'll need to see someone who can provide this information for you to apply it to your training. I think in, in terms of something really simple that you probably could do right now is do your current program and measure the velocity that you do. And you can start to compare velocity with, with loads that you're using. And that can start to give you, I guess, 
another form of autoregulation or a, a form of of biofeedback. So instead of using a subjective measurement like 8 RPE, 8.5 RPE, you can use a velocity as your auto feedback without using it to dictate load. You just use it to to actually just measure measure its 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 intensity or its velocity for that day. Um, and just from that data alone, you should be able to start making some intelligent intelligent uh, changes. I, I always say, and this is, I think what people are trying to do is they're trying to take velocity as an entire new method. It, it's not, it's just measuring what we're already doing and just takes a little bit more intelligently with more data to, I guess, view because velocity is not going to be the only data we use. We're going to use everything like we have always used. So it's enhancing what we're already doing. I would say, yeah. So you still really need to, you still really, to get the most benefit, you need to find a coach, really. The thing is there aren't many coaches that are doing this. That, that, that's what I'm saying, right? So like. So come see me. <laughs> yeah. Call Gus on zero seven. No, that, that, that's definitely is my, that definitely is my suggestion is just start tracking what you're doing. If uh, there's a new, if you're new to, new to doing this um, and you'll just get, you'll get valuable data from that. Yeah, definitely. So um, you, you wouldn't recommend setting up a force velocity profile? I think this is the thing. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely hundred percent recommend doing it. I think it's just, um, I think it's one of those things that people don't understand how to. You, so you don't, do you it. don't trust the ability of the lifter to apply it properly. I don't think most people know what linear aggression is. Yeah, true. So, um, what is linear aggression, Gus? It's just a, a, a prediction, a prediction yeah. model using statistics. So you kind of plot, you kind of plot a graph, comparing uh, load, load to an. Uh, load and velocity and it can create basically a, a, a linear line from point A to point B and that gives you a can give you predict a XY value yeah, yeah. for okay. what percentage we want to work at. And then you can then use that that formula if it's accurate. So again, you use that model to try and create try an accurate model which you would use an R square value which most Excel spreadsheets can calculate for you and if it's a good R square value then you know it is quite accurate to use and then you can plot from 60% to 100% exactly what velocity you need to use so mm -hmm. then when you program 80% you should know what your velocity is so definitely if you have the capacity to to do that to create a force velocity profile then um then, then do that. Is this your idea for the app? That is this your idea for the, like what the oh, app? That's, a, that's another idea. <laughs> I was going to say, like, any as soon as you can start making it idiot proof, mm. velocity in spits out data the other way, and it just informs you. Then it's like gold rush. Just so every, every, just so everyone knows as well, like Gymware does this on the cloud automatically, but. You know, if you if you don't have a gym aware unit, I'm sure Gus, you you would have a spreadsheet, wouldn't you? So if you were coaching an athlete and they were on board, they would get access to the spreadsheet, and you would be able to run them through all that stuff. Yeah, I guess what I'll do is I I, I can I can provide a a link to to uh, I guess a model that can help you create a linear a linear regression model, which I'll post mm. when we post this uh, when we post this that people could download and Just, create their own. Force velocity profile, and you you have to do that for the three exercises because it is exercise specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's different for it's different for each person and for each exercise. Yeah, exactly. Like Usain Bolt is going to be different to Mo Farah. So, yeah, it's, yeah. At the end of the day, it is you do need to specialize it. The zones are just a good guide um, for most athletes, uh, most team sport athletes. But for powerlifters, yeah, like you're saying. They don't really get above 0.5 and, you know, it just is what it is, I guess. What it is, I guess. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, well, we're coming up on the hour mark, so we probably won't keep you any longer. Well, yeah, if anyone has any questions or anything, feel free to shoot them my way. I'm sure, Gus, you'll probably leave something in the, yeah. Yeah, I'll leave some information, description about the software, about the about the device and stuff, and people want to have a have a crack at it and give it a go. And I'd, I'm I'm interested, and I'm just a hobbyist, so 
For sure. It definitely, so. it definitely mixes up training, changes the way you think about training, you know. So, yeah, if anyone's keen, definitely uh, shoot us a message. I got a discount code. Was it, was it Muscle 10 you made? For sure. Yeah, is it 10% or is it yeah. 5% off or something like that? It'll be in the uh, description. Yeah, I'll, the I'll, I'll throw it all in. Awesome. All right, Jay. Well, um, mate, really appreciate you having a chat with us. Fascinating stuff. Hey, you guys are it, mate. on. It's awesome to talk to you guys. Sure, we'll like. No worries, mate. All right. Well, thanks for listening and uh, we'll catch you next time.